freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. Brought to you by azfirearms.com, your nationwide hometown gun shop. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. We're doing a series called American. We're talking about the can-do spirit that is part of our American DNA. Absolutely. Our lives have been just completely turned upside down. And we're hearing an awful lot about all the things we can't do and all the places that we can't go. But our guests during this series are experts in helping us better understand all the ways that we still can learn and grow, train and connect and expand our freedoms in ways that maybe we haven't even thought about before. And our guest today is Glenn Caroline. Glenn is the Director of External Affairs for SAFCC RKBA. Holy cow! We're going to break that down for you. That's a mouthful, but uh, you love these organizations, and if you don't know them, get to know them. Glenn worked for the NRA for 29 years. Most of his tenure was spent as managing director of NRA ILA's grassroots programs and campaign field operations division. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to speak with you today. Absolutely. And congratulations on the new gig, right? The new job. Right. No, I'm, re I'm really happy and thankful for Second Amendment Foundation and the Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bar Arms to give me this opportunity. I'm really excited to stay engaged in the Second Amendment gun rights fight. It's what I've dedicated my entire professional career to. So uh, exciting times ahead for sure. It really is. And it's so needed that that grassroots you know, how, how do we do this thing? You know, grassroots really, it, it's become a bit of a perverted term. I think really, you know, uh, what do they call it? AstroTurf is really, you know, the, the kind that they say they're grassroots, but they're really uh, a completely different animal. But grassroots is, you know, just something that happens out of, you know, it's, uh, what is it, mother, the, um, what is it? Is the the mother of invention? Need is the the mother necessity, of invention. Right. The necessity. Thank mm -hmm. you. I uh, couldn't find the word. And um, that's really what grassroots is. But then we're like, yes, I'm I'm tired of having my Second Amendment rights being trampled. I'm tired of being called nasty names by news pundits because I happen to own this particular tool in my household, and I want to do something about it. But I, I don't have a clue. Like, how do I even get started? So we need people like you that helps us to better understand what tools are available to us, what even phraseology we should be using or, or maybe words and phrases we shouldn't use because that lends itself to being misinterpreted by other people. Um, but I'm probably getting ahead of, of even what you have to tell us, but is that the kind of work that, that you have done and are going to continue to do with the Second Amendment Foundation? It definitely is, Cheryl. And to your point, let, let me just say, especially today on Memorial Day, we all need to remember that freedom is nothing to be ashamed of. It's something to celebrate. We're yeah. celebrating today because, you know, thousands and thousands of brave U.S. servicemen and women paid the ultimate sacrifice so we can remain free in the United States. So none of us who believe in a constitutional principle should ever apologize for that. That's something we should be proud of and something that we should celebrate. But, you know, freedom isn't free, as we all know. And in politics, nothing happens by accident. So mm. not only is it important to use the right terminology to make our point and to not regurgitate the buzzwords that our opponents have created, mm -hmm. but 
Grassroots is really two sides of the same coin. It's important to be educated on the issues and to take that knowledge and transform it to some type of engagement. So that's really what my job at the Second Amendment Foundation is going to be moving ahead is to make sure that our members and supporters of the Second Amendment understand what's at stake, understand why it is that we take the various positions we do on a piece of legislation or for the Citizens Committee on a particular candidate, and then transform that passion and that knowledge into some form of engagement to be what I like to call force multipliers, for us to influence others to make sure that they make a difference and actively engage in the fight to protect our gun rights. Wow. Force multipliers. That really, I mean, that's it right there. Because me all by myself, some lone voice, you know, standing there trying to make a point, it's way too easy for the other side to just, you know, make me out to be a Lulu. You know, oh, well, there's one of those fringe people, right? They're just a little bit, uh, what is their favorite word? Extreme, extremism and extremist. I, I heard maybe six months ago for the first time, the phrase uh, gun extremist come cropping up in, uh, you know, some of the, the mass media. And I thought, oh man, aren't they really, they're brilliant in the ways that they use language, but it's terrible. It's, it's a terrible brilliance because all they have to do is add the word extremist to anything. And it's now suddenly something to be feared. Oh dear. Right. Because we've, it's been ingrained in us that, you know, uh, it's connected to like terrorism and, you know, those, those bad people from over there somewhere. Uh, and, and these are the things that we have to be able to um, tackle and deal with. What do you say about that? Well, I think when it comes to activism, our goal needs to be not to just make a point and thump our chest, but actually to make a difference, to appreciably impact the lives of gun owners in the United States, whether that means defeating bills that seek to chip away at our rights or making sure candidates who don't support the Second Amendment do not get elected to office, or in some cases to advance the cause of freedom, to strengthen and affirm our rights and elect like-minded individuals to office. Mm -hmm. And as I said earlier, there's nothing to apologize for supporting a freedom that's enshrined in our Bill of Rights and our Constitution. But winning in politics is about branding, it is about marketing, and our goal, as I said, is to be a force multiplier. We win elections and we win legislative campaigns, not by division, but by addition and multiplication. So it's important for us to present a positive face and to come across as the way we all are, which is a reasonable people who simply do not want to be blamed for the acts of criminals, who want to have the choice on how best to defend ourselves and our family, and who have an adherence to the United States Constitution. So sometimes what we say and how we say it is just as important as the underlying issue itself. Right. So Glenn, with the, the coronavirus thing that's going on right now, have we seen uh, any threats for our gun right, you know, gun rights uh, going on right now? Sure. Well, I think you see whether it's in the uh, litigation arena with lawsuits that are going on, whether it's governors or mayors trying to assert emergency powers, whether it's battles over whether or not gun shops and ranges should be considered essential, essential business, not to mention that there are still going to be legislative threats and opportunities as it pertains to our gun rights in, in the United States Congress and the state legislatures. We still have to be fully engaged. While many of us have taken a break from our normal lives, the fight to protect our Second Amendment rights can't be on break. We still have to find ways to be force multipliers and to make sure that those of us who support the Second Amendment right understand what the issues are and can take corresponding steps to not only be individual advocates ourselves, but to increase the number of gun owners who are active participants in the battle. Mm -hmm. Well, we've seen governors throughout the, the states, all the states, uh, trying to close the shops up, but we're also, so they're trying to take advantage of this corona thing by saying it's an emergency so uh, we can control it. But then there's a lot of people that are going, hey, I don't feel safe in my home anymore because I don't know if the police are going to be able to get to me in time. I want to go buy a gun. So what That's can these new people that, besides getting lots of training, they're starting to see that, some, that there's, it's not easy to buy a gun. They, they think they could just walk in, buy a gun, and walk out. And they're finding that it's not, and now they want to get involved because it was difficult. What do we do? What do we say to them? Well, you hit a lot of good points. In times of uncertainty, the Second Amendment becomes 
much more apparently important when people realize that uh, there are times they're going to have to be responsible for their own safety and they want the choice to decide which tool and which security systems are best for them to defend themselves and their family. And your point about the first thing any new gun owner should do is to get proper training. And there are organizations out there with certified instructors that can provide that type of training because, you know, when you make the choice to exercise that right, with rights come responsibility and being educated on safety and training and the safe handling and storage of firearms is something that's important. But this presents a great opportunity to us with so many new gun buyers out there. We see NICS checks going through the roof. We see records being broken on a monthly basis. I think two things are occurring. Probably a lot of those people, as you suggest, realize it's a little bit more challenging, especially in some states, to legally purchase a gun than our opponents would, would have them believe. So I think it's a wake-up call for a lot of them to realize there is a process in place. There are thousands and thousands of laws that regulate the purchase and ownership of firearms. And I think that's a good part of the education process. The second component of that is our numbers should be increasing. I truly believe that once people buy firearms and safely use them and they find out that they can be not only enjoyable for competitive shooting or hunting or plinking with your children, but can be a fantastic equalizer when it comes to defending yourself and your family, they get an appreciation that those people who seek to restrict their rights uh, are people that need to be defeated in the, in the election arena. And those bills that seek to put additional restrictions on their ability to lawfully own guns, those bills have to be defeated. So this is a great field for us to occupy right now to reach out to and contact those new first-time gun buyers to let them know that you now have exercised the right, you now have a responsibility to do so safely, but you also have a responsibility to make sure that that choice to legally own a gun remains intact for you in the future and for your children and your grandchildren. So we need right. to organize and we need to be active participants in the arena. Right. And how do we do that? Like what is... I mean, obviously, I'm a life member of the Second Amendment Foundation. So for me, that's a duh. That's like a no-brainer. But I've been in, the, I mean, we own a gun store ourselves. So I've been in this arena for a while. So I know that that's uh, an automatic thing that people should do. But not everybody knows that. They, a lot of people, are they've just come into this world, like we were saying, this whole world of you know, being a firearms owner. And they're even trying to figure out for themselves so so what does that mean like what does that change my identity <laughs> like you know mm -hmm. what what does that mean about me as it pertains to my neighbors who maybe they don't even like me now because i you know bought this tool they've got a whole lot uh of of things they have to work out and sort out and we would like for them to understand that protecting their rights and joining the second amendment foundation for example is a, a very important step in that process what are some good and effective ways that we can do that without being the either I told you so voice of, you know, the American gun owner that is, you know, kind of like, hey, what took you so long to figure this stuff out? I've been telling you for years. Or the, um, the, the voice that accidentally says things that, that cause that new person to feel like, yeah, I'm, I'm a gun owner, but I'm, I'm not part of that stuff going on. You are exactly right that when one makes the choice to enter the fraternity of the 100 million law-abiding Americans that own firearms in this country, that you do change your identity. You join a group of people who are committed to the Second Amendment and who are part of the solution in the United States, not part of the problem. So obviously, we welcome them to the fraternity. We want to make sure they can be full participants. If this was months ago and you were asking me what they can do to be force multipliers, my answer would be a little bit different. I'm going to guess you don't have scores and dozens of people in your gun shop every day that you can personally network with and have conversations with and talk about various grassroots programs. Uh, I know we don't have as many people going out to the ranges where they can congregate together and exchange ideas on how best to engage themselves in the process. So when I talk about being a force multiplier right now in this unique COVID environment, I really think about how can you influence your sphere of influencers? your family, your friends, the people who you still communicate with on a regular basis, just maybe you don't communicate with them over a cup of coffee in person. So things like using your email list to communicate and texting your friends and posting articles of interest and educational updates on your social media sites. These are all great ways to be that force multiplier because what we find is people who don't own guns but who know us personally 
usually look to us for guidance. Mm -hmm. And we do have a responsibility to fill that void and provide that guidance. So I'm really pushing right now for people to use their personal networks and using the tools they communicate with those personal networks to take, you know, an hour a day, a few hours a week to make sure that people understand what it means when a governor seeks to shut down gun shops across the state. What it means when we talk about trying to pass a national right to carry reciprocity bill at the federal level. What it means when a candidate seeking your vote in November comes out in favor of a ban on so-called assault weapons. And to really understand and digest those issues. And the way to do that is to humanize the issue by showing that we as gun owners, we're your baseball coaches, we're your neighbors, we serve on the PTA with you, we're just like you, except we happen to exercise a choice that's guaranteed by the Constitution to protect our families. So it's, again, two sides of that coin. People need to understand the facts surrounding the issue. Hopefully they can be convinced that our public policies are better than our opponents. And then once they have that understanding, they need to be trained on what can they do to make a difference. And usually that involves contacting the lawmaker or registering to vote or writing a letter to the editor or making sure you're spreading the word to bring like-minded voters to the polls with you on election day. So these are the types of things in our own spheres of influence where we can have a really appreciable effect to enhance our rights right now when we're living in, in very unique circumstances. You know, we've seen uh, a lot of new buyers, and as I said earlier, and they are quite shocked at how difficult it is to buy a gun. And they're quite shocked when NICS goes down or, and they can't buy a gun or that they can't just have their friend buy the gun for them. And so this coronavirus thing, as far as for educational firearms, has been kind of a blessing for us because they are, there's a new, gener new breed of people that are coming in that didn't have the knowledge before that are getting the knowledge. And it's gonna be good support for us, for the gun side people, the firearms friends. <laughs> I think you're right, but getting that support won't happen by accident. It's going to take in a concerted effort by Second Amendment Foundation and other pro-Second Amendment groups and individuals in their own neighborhoods. And I do agree with you that many people who are agnostic about the gun control debate or maybe even leaning towards the, the anti-gun side, it's a wake-up call when you have to go to a shop and fill out a 4473 and go through a background check and realize if that system goes down, it's going to have an impact on you being able to get that gun for lawful purposes. So I, I do think it helps us educate folks to understand that what our opponents present as quote unquote normal and how criminals get guns illegally is not normal for how we as law-abiding right. gun owners who go through the process obtain firearms. Right. And it helps starts that dialogue and education process because now they're understanding for the first time just what some of the hoops and hurdles you have to go through to legally get a gun. And as you know, in some states, it's far more regressive and repressive than in others. So mm -hmm. it can be eye-opening, but we have to take advantage of that moment, capture people's understanding of the process, understand that they're now part of our fraternity of 100 million gun owners, and transition them from being passive gun owners into legislative and political activists right. to make a difference. Right. I agree. Um, you know, we're talking about you know, being ambassadors, those of us that are already gun owners, being ambassadors for uh, not only the sport that we love, but apparently even the tools that we use because um, the other side is right now in the middle of all of this uh, corona season where millions of new people have awoken to the idea that they need to be their own immediate responder and and they're buying the tool that is going to help them to protect their one and only god-given life at the exact same time that that's happening there is legislation being written in the house and the senate that have these really fancy feel-good names like you know oh the gun safety act or something like that uh but basically line by line lists out the individual guns that they want to make illegal. And so you could be sitting in your home, just the same person today as you are tomorrow, and suddenly you could be on the wrong side of the law if this kind of legislation gets passed. 
And so we have to be ambassadors for the Constitution, ambassadors for these tools, ambassadors for the sports that we partake in, ambassadors for hunting, ambassadors for all of these things to help other people not be, this is, this is unfortunate, but not be turned off of the things that we're trying to protect. And engaging in grassroots activism is a great way to be an ambassador and to enact that. And we need people like you, Glenn, to help us not screw it up. So, so how do we do that? Like, how do we uh, learn from your experience and, and, and do a better job of, and, and not being afraid? Because sometimes when we don't know what to do, we just get frozen and we don't do anything. So how do we learn from you? I think it's unrealistic to expect every gun owner to do everything that's associated mm -hmm. with defending our rights, mm -hmm. but we need to ensure that every gun owner does something. Mm -hmm. So finding what one is comfortable with is important. Mm -hmm. Somebody may not be comfortable going out and speaking to somebody verbally on the gun issue, but they may be really good writers. Maybe they're very comfortable typing up an email or a letter to the editor. So I like to fish and an old saying we have fishing is you have to match the hatch. You have to match the bait with what you're trying to catch. So getting to know what gun owner's strengths or weaknesses are or what they're comfortable doing is a great way to match your request with something that they're going to feel comfortable with. And what I have found is when somebody does one or two things that they feel confident in and they can see that they're part of the team and making a difference, they become much more willing to take on even more responsibilities and expand outside of their comfort zone. So understanding what resources you have within your volunteer community, which is something we're gonna be spending some time at Second Amendment Foundation doing in the coming weeks, helps you better tailor your message as to what somebody might be willing to do with what they will actually do. Because at the end of the day, when I keep talking about education and engagement, you can have the most educated individual on all of the nuances of the gun control debate and legislation, but if he or she isn't willing to take that knowledge and transform it into some type of engagement, it's, it's really a waste. Conversely, you may have somebody who's extremely confident and comfortable speaking and interacting with other individuals, but if this person doesn't know what he or she is talking about, it can be detrimental to convey the wrong message. So I think we have to blend both the education component with the engagement component and then try to get to know the volunteers we're working with to try to match our request for activism with something that they're going to be com feel comfortable doing and something they can do well to advance the cause. Absolutely. So we are in the studio on um, Memorial Day, uh, Monday, May tw uh, 25th. So by the time this airs, I think that your uh, Grass act, uh, Roots Activism Summit is going to have already happened, unfortunately, because I am so excited. I am signed up for your, your Tuesday, uh, May 26th class, and I cannot wait uh, to sit and learn and, and be refreshed and, um, you know, find some new skills and tactics. Um, so I, I assume this probably isn't going to be the one and only time you offer a thing like this. Um, so can you give us kind of like uh, an idea of what it is that uh, I'm going to learn on Tuesday? Sure. Let's just talk about the particulars first. We'll be doing three uh, grassroots summits via Zoom starting tomorrow night. We'll be doing one Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night. Each one will start at 7 p.m. The first one will be Eastern Standard Time. The second one will be Central Standard Time. The third one will be Pacific Standard Time. So everybody will have an option to hopefully build one in that fits their schedule. The content is going to be very same each night. The topics are going to be the same, but we wanted to give people the opportunity. And really what we do is we're going to build on a lot of what we discussed today to talk about specific steps that individuals can take to become force multipliers within their own community in this very unique COVID environment. Once we get back to normalcy, the types of asks and the types of things that individual gun owners and grassroots groups are going to need to be doing are going to be different. But right now is a fantastic time where we have captive audiences who are looking for some type of social engagement, even if it's a non-traditional social engagement, to try to find ways to leverage the, the challenge of the COVID environment with making sure we're going out to educate and engage gun owners right now and getting them ready for when we get back to normal. Because remember, we still have an election, a very important election in November of this year. And 
groups that think they can wait months from now to just try to flip a switch and activate their grassroots and get them engaged are going to find out that's very challenging. So we want to start building the critical momentum now so that we have the foundation laid for when we actually get back to traditional grassroots work to build our base of activists to make sure that we can deliver our candidates victory on election day. Well, that is the truth. And that is one of the tricky things about uh, any kind of activism or, or being an ambassador for the Second Amendment is like I'm a member of, I'm the Arizona delegate for a group called the DC Project. It's mm -hmm. women from every state across the nation, um, every conceivable demographic that some of us, the only thing we agree on is the, the need to protect our Second Amendment uh, and our Bill of Rights and our Constitution because we have women who are liberal, we have uh, conservative, we have independents, we have politically agnostic people. And so, um, so often when we're trying to talk about the fact that the Second Amendment is not political, right? It's for everybody. It's in our Bill of Rights, it's for everybody. But it has been made political and so we have to understand that it is important to pay attention to politics. It is important to vote for candidates that you think will truly represent you and your desire to support and defend the Constitution. And then that leads us into, you know, sometimes a political topic. And that is hard because then people that are like, well, I don't want to vote for that guy because whatever. It's like, if your main goal is protecting the Second Amendment, you know, that's a tricky, that's a tricky area. Um, in your summits and in the way that you're, you're going to be talking about this stuff, how do you avoid that landmine of politics so that we aren't alienating people who don't necessarily ascribe to the party that isn't standing up on debate stages saying, hell yes, I'm taking your guns away. <laughs> well, my guess is the audience we're going to be speaking to over the next three days are going to be single-minded, single-issue voters first and foremost that are going to vote their freedom first and elevate the gun rights issue among all others. But to your point in being ambassadors, there are other people out there that we need to talk about why it is we think the Second Amendment is the single most important issue in which we judge a candidate. For me, it has nothing to do with firearms. It has to do with the underlying principle of freedom. You know, you ask any of us who've been in the gun rights movement, I've been in it almost three decades. I very rarely talk about being motivated by guns and the accoutrements themselves. I talk about the principle of freedom. And I'm familiar with the great work the DC Project does. And, you know, when I speak to people, whether they're male or female, I always make the point that this issue really boils down to choice. We're not out there suggesting every qualified American citizen must or ought to own a gun. We're simply saying, if you ever choose to exercise that right, we want to make sure it's a legally viable way for you to do so. And if you choose to not own a firearm, that's perfectly fine. If you do choose to own it, there are organizations out there that will help you with the safety and the training component, but have the same level of respect for the 100 million of us who do choose to legally own that firearm for any lawful purpose. And I think when you frame it that way, people sometimes have a, a better understanding of what this issue boils down to, why we believe so strongly in it, the fact that we're not trying to tell non-gun owners to get a gun. We're just trying to protect that right for ourselves, for them if they choose to make that decision in the future, and for their children and grandchildren. Because at the end of the day, people who are law-abiding and qualified under the law to own a gun should have the right to do so with minimal government intrusion. Wow. I mean, we could just put that on the replay right there. Uh, do anything minimal? I'd say no government <laughs> but well that's what shall not be infringed is is supposed to mean but we've we've strayed the path and we're we're doing what we can through our grassroots activism and uh um advocacy to move that line back to where our founders uh placed it in the first place um glenn do you think there's anything um i mean i'm sure you do really unique that you see in the, the grassroots organizing in this current climate? Like what, what is true right now today for somebody that wants to be an advocate uh, for, for gun rights, for Second Amendment rights, that maybe wasn't true before this COVID time? 
I think it's gotten a little bit easier. Uh, whether we like it or not, we frequently have fewer demands on our time because we're working from home or maybe some of us have been laid off, but we have more free time now with less things competing for that time. So I think that we can dedicate sufficient amount of hours in the day to doing something constructive to advance the cause. Secondly, I think since we're in many states restricted from having too much personal interaction with individuals, which really is the most effective way to impact elections and to get people into the fold through that interpersonal interaction, since we don't have that right now, it's a lot easier to scratch out an email or to send a text or to repost something from the Second Amendment Foundation on your Facebook site. So I think right now is a great opportunity for people to realize you can make a difference without having to do too much, but also understanding that as we get closer to election day, as the country starts to open up a little bit more, we're all gonna have to take on a little bit more responsibility. It might be a little bit more challenging for us to fully engage. So we have a lot of new first time gun buyers that hopefully we can get to the fold. And we have a lot of time and a lot of new technology that, that make interacting with individuals even if it's not the ideal situation of doing so personally, we have a lot of technology that makes it very easy for us to communicate and educate with one another. So I'm gonna challenge anybody who's concerned about the Second Amendment to dedicate an hour a day or five hours a week to doing nothing more but spreading the message, being a good ambassador for the Second Amendment and making sure people who are like-minded or at least willing to have a rational conversation are engaged and put to use in a constructive way to help defend the Second Amendment. Right. And this election that's coming up in November is not just about the presidential election. It's your state government. It's uh, congressmen. Uh, you need to be aware of who is for what. I mean, we do know that uh, the uh, Biden is anti-gun. He's wanting to get rid of assault weapons. And that's just the first Anytime they want to get rid of any kind of firearm, that's just the first leg of many more to come. So keep that in mind when you're voting, but also again, to think about your local, your congressman too. You need to study on the, on, on the people that are running for office. We have a very easy choice at the top of the ticket. There's, there's no question there's a distinction between President Trump and Joe Biden. And I'm sure Joe Biden will do everything in his power to try to cover up his record, to spin it, to make it look as if he wasn't as bad for gun owners as he was. We have a responsibility to remind the American electorate that Joe Biden has never been and will never be a friend of American gun owners. That's an important message for sure. But you're right. As we get down to the you know, statewide Senate races and the U.S. House races and even down to the state legislative races, we have to make sure we're separating the wheat from the chaff and that voters have the facts at their disposal to make an informed decision to make sure we are voting for and actively working on behalf of those candidates who seek to affirm and uphold the Second Amendment to the Constitution. Right, and some of the, some of the people that are running for office don't always tell the truth about what? their records. So, <laughs> you know, so you need, to, you need to do some reading and listening. Well, here in Arizona, we have Mark Kelly, who's going up against Martha McSally, and he's gone suddenly mum on gun right issue. He suddenly has not one thing to say, but yet he has a book that he's written in the past that he's told us very clearly how he feels about our ability to keep and our, our rights to keep and bear arms. So, uh, you know, we need to have long memories and we need to do our research and really understand, uh, you know, just because somebody puts the big eye on their chest, I'm an independent uh, politician, that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they are a freedom-loving, constitutionally-based um, public servant. Uh, sometimes it means they're a politician who's trying to pull the wool over your eyes. True. And gun owners do a really good job of following candidates and listening to what they actually say and checking their voting record and keeping informed of the current debate. And we all need to be watchdogs out there to make sure that a candidate's rhetoric in support of the Second Amendment matches his actions and matches his deeds and matches his voting record. Um, because you're right, you know, politicians sometimes say one thing and do something else and we need to hold them accountable when it comes to our second amendment rights. And you know, whether it's every four years or six years or two years, these politicians are up for job interviews with we the people and we have to make sure we're asking the right questions and holding them accountable before we entrust them with, uh, you know, the, the keys to the palace, so to speak. 
So does the Second Amendment Foundation have any kind of um, a guide that tells you who's the good and who's the bad? The Second Amendment Foundation is more of an educational 501c3 organization. The Citizens Committee for the Right to Keep and Bear Arms is a little bit more uh, political and gets a little bit more involved in campaigns. So I'm working on behalf of, of both organizations to do just exactly what we talked today, to make sure gun owners are educated, but then to make sure they're activated and empowered to actually make a difference. So as we get closer to elections and we get through primaries and filing deadlines, we'll have more and more information out there to show where the candidates running for office in states across the country stand when it comes to our Second Amendment rights. Well, and it is so important um, to, to really know and really make those educated decisions in the voting booth because it is way easier to be proactive and hire with our votes the right people that are going to truly represent us in our quest to protect and defend our constitution rather than it is to be reactive and try to rein those people in or vote those people out once they've gotten a toehold. Incumbency is very powerful and getting the right people in and keeping them in is, is very, very important. And uh, as I said, you know, nothing happens by accident. We don't win elections without showing up and without putting in the elbow grease that's required to make sure our candidates get their message out there and attract as many voters as possible on election day or via absentee ballot or out west where there's a lot of mail-in voting. Uh, we have to make sure that every gun owner who prioritizes his freedom or her freedom it takes that ultimate step of activism and actually votes for the right candidates on election day. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, one of the amazing <clears throat> opportunities that the Second Amendment Foundation gives citizens every single year is the Gun Rights Policy Conference. And it is, it's always in September. It travels around to different parts of the country uh, every year. And this year it's in Florida, I believe. Yep. Orlando, but yep but we don't know if we're going to be able to do it live like we normally do where we get to you know actually meet people face to face and and build our our networks that way or if maybe this year we're going to have to do it um and i say we because i'm a, a life member of the second amendment foundation and i i love this the group and i love this uh event uh might have to do it as a huge digital like Zoom event or something. We don't quite know, but it's such a great opportunity to learn all this stuff that we're talking about um, because there's, I don't know, over the course of the weekend, is it like 190,000 speakers? I mean, like, what is it? There's a ton of speakers and each one of them comes to us from a different angle. There, there are lawyers, there are constitutionalists, there are ordinary people like myself, there are, um, I mean, you name it, uh, people that come and they speak from their area of expertise and you just soak it up and you're a sponge and it gives you the, I mean, really it feeds you to, to move forward and want to speak up and speak out and talk to your neighbors like you're saying. Um, so uh, I, I probably stole your whole thunder about the gun rights policy conference, but no, did you have anything perfect. to add to that? I would just say, you know, we're all hoping for the best. We're hoping we can be reunited in person because that's optimal, but we have to have contingency plans that if we're still in a COVID environment that precludes that from happening, there still are ways that we can have interconnectivity in the Second Amendment community and make a difference. So we'll just have to see how this whole thing uh, plays out. I know the folks back in Washington State are preparing for uh, contingency, whether the conference is on, traditionally, or whether it has to be virtual, but we'll just see how it plays out, and it would be great if we can all be together in September in Florida. Glenn, if, if, if you guys could have a conference in Chicago, then we can make this thing happen in Florida, <laughs> okay? All right? Yeah, last year was Chicago. That was, year or no, year before. Yeah. Last year was here in, in Phoenix. Yeah, that right. was pretty amazing for us. We didn't, right. have to, didn't have to travel, but sometimes traveling's fun because it gets you out of your own head, your, your own space. But so just as we wrap up um, this gun rights activism summit, like I said, by the time this airs next week, the summit will have already happened. Will there be a recording? Will there be, a, you know, another one scheduled? Is there a way that people can learn from the work that you're, you're going to be doing between now and then? There will be a recording that I'm sure will be made available once we get through the next three, which will wrap up on Thursday. Uh, but I envision this being the, the first of many 
virtual meetings that we'll do. Again, right now we, we are un, in an unfortunate situation that we can't utilize the best tool we have, which is interpersonal interactions with fellow gun owners. But you know, I foresee in the months ahead, we'll be having virtual meetings to talk about the next steps in the process. We'll be talking a little bit more about some of the formalized grassroots programs we'll be building out at the Second Amendment Foundation. So I do think we'll be doing more of these in the future. And it's my hope that at some point in the not too distant future, we're doing some of these things in person like the Gun Rights Policy Conference in September. Absolutely. Well, Glenn, we appreciate you so much. We are excited to see you in your new position and I can't wait to, to learn from you. That's one of the things is when you are doing advocacy and activism, it is, it's so refreshing to be able to kind of like sit and learn, you know, and, and be filled back up so that you're supercharged to get back out there. So I am very much uh, excited to see you in this position and can't wait to, to see what, what waits for me in class on Tuesday. Thank you, I'm excited to do it. Uh, I think it's gonna be good. The attendance and registration has been great. And I think the fact that there are so many gun rights advocates and activists willing to participate from their, you know, their living rooms or their kitchens right now in these less than desirable environment shows that the passion of gun owners to protect their rights is second to, to none out there. And the reason we succeed is because we have vast numbers of supporters, but we have supporters that understand the process and are willing to volunteer their time to get the job done. I couldn't have said it better. All right, Glenn, just as we go out, tell folks how they can learn more about the work you're doing and the organizations you work for. Right. There are a number of ways. The Second Amendment Foundation website is a really good one, saf.org, saf.org. You can also follow them on Twitter with the number 2, 2AFDN, like Second Amendment Foundation, the number 2AFDN. And then if you just do a search on Facebook, they have a presence there as well. And these are all great ways to, to follow SAF. Once you're on their website, I would suggest signing up for their alerts so that you don't miss anything from them. And uh, hopefully people will also enjoy themselves over the next three nights in these webinars and start being force multipliers for the organization as well and getting more people directed to those sites. Fantastic. Thank you again so much. We look forward to learning from you and having you back on as you know things progress and we get closer and closer to making those decisions um, about what we're going to do at the, the polls, but also what are we personally going to do about protecting our constitution. Glenn, thank you so Glenn, much. See you in Florida in September live. I hope, I hope so. so. Thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate it. <laughs> we'll see you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, Cheryl, you, uh, you were all good today until you said one thing. What did I say? You said, or you said you were an ordinary person. Ordinary. Yeah. You're exceptional. You're oh. not ordinary. Okay. I'll keep you. You're, you're hardworking. <laughs> Thank you. That's, doing your stuff. That's, so you you're know, exceptional. Honest. That's enough. Let's move on. Pray for your leaders. <laughs> pray for your whatever. No, honestly, it's so easy to cast that, cast off a compliment and just be like, oh, well, you know, and you're demure from it. But really, honestly, thank you. Um, I mean, I, I take pride in the fact that I'm an ordinary warrior, right? That's kind of what this whole polka dots are my camo thing. Is polka stars? It's polka stars today. Yeah. Those of you who are listening and not watching us on either YouTube or Gunstreamer, but you're listening, you don't see that I've got my very patriotic uh, red, white, and blue polka sweater stars. on with polka stars. stars on it. So yeah, polka stars. Um, is being, you know, we don't have to wait until we're, you know, super educated. We don't have to go take a you know, a master's course in the constitution and now we're ready to be activists and now we're ready to be advocates. No, start where you are. And that's what I think is so amazing about the classes, the summits that Glenn is offering is that it'll give you a bit of information um, either to get started or to lead you to that next step in, in your journey. But just have that next conversation and it, it ends up, the next thing you know, you've got a radio show called Gun Freedom Radio. I don't, how did this happen? Oh, that's, a, that's two shows in its own just for <laughs> it's that. Too, 
<laughs> it's true. I mean, I just really got tired of listening, like I said, on the news to being vilified for just being a gun store owner or being a gun owner or somebody that values the constitution. I got tired of hearing myself and my family, my husband being vilified. And I had friends who were truly curious, like, so what, what's this whole gun thing? Like, is it bad? Is it right. good? And, and that gave me an opportunity to start talking to them and realizing that like, even though I, I like knew the constitution, that I didn't know it well enough to, to have the words and phrases that I needed to help somebody else understand what it meant to me. Yeah. Um, and so. Well, how embarrassing was it? I remember when we first opened a gun shop, that's what, 14 years ago? Longer than that, maybe closer to 16. Now. But we would go to uh, conventions or, you know, programs and people say, hey, what do you do for a living? <laughs> well, we have an auction house and a gun shop. Mm -hmm. We would keep that quiet. And how I'm embarrassed by the way that we were. We yeah. should have just said, we have a gun shop and an auction house. But we didn't. We, you know, there's nothing wrong. We serve police departments. We serve people. We serve, you know, honest, law-abiding citizens in our gun shop. We don't sell to people that are felons. Mm -mm. We don't send guns to people's houses without, we just don't, period. Mm -mm. We have to send them to another uh, gun shop. So why should we be embarrassed that we supply people with firearms that are that are right people that are that are good people no mm -hmm. yeah. and how many times have guns been used to help solve you know to save somebody's life mm -hmm. what why don't we think about that why is why is it so evil to have a gun shop well it's not and that's right. part of being an ordinary warrior and the polka dots are my camel is just helping people understand how normal how normal it is it's actually you know if you go back in history what was abnormal was not having a life-saving tool like a firearm in your home right like nowadays if you drove a car and didn't have your seat belt right it didn't have seat belts or you didn't wear it people would just be like oh my gosh what's the matter with you right, right? because it's it's become the normal thing and we have understood the value of having a life-saving tool in a proactive way we don't wear our seat belts just when we're get, getting ready to go crash into something right right but then people say well what do you have a gun for you're going to go shoot somebody no i'm going to protect my my life and my family's lives if i'm forced to if there's a situation that it becomes necessary but just because you know it it somehow shifted in our culture that that now people feel like it's weird to have this tool in your home that doesn't mean that it's weird to have this tool in your home no, it's, it's smart sort of like, if, it's if i went to proactive if i went to a convention with a whole bunch a skinny person's convention <laughs> and they said what do you do for a living well i have a pizza shop would i be embarrassed to say that <laughs> i mean it's, it's no different. I mean, skinny people eat pizza. That's right. I mean, I've heard because I am right. not a skinny person. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's that one guy, right? <laughs> yeah, there's that one, <laughs> one skinny guy. All right, we got to get out of here. Thank you so much to our awesome listeners. You are, yes. you're everything, really, because these conversations are amazing that we have in this room with these awesome people, our awesome guests. If we didn't have guests, we'd just be listening to you. Oh my gosh. Thank you, guests. I haven't got to the guests yet. I'm still talking about the listeners that oh. we're having amazing conversations um, that are awesome, but they would just stop here if it weren't for our listeners. But the listeners, you know, take them around their dinner table and into their uh, chat rooms on Facebook and, and on, in their Zoom rooms and, and their phone calls with their friends and neighbors and all of that. And that's where um, it really starts to grow. But yes, and thank you so much to our amazing guests like our, our awesome Glenn Caroline, who was with us today. Uh, because yeah, as Dan said, if the guests didn't show up, it's, it'd just be me. <laughs> <laughs> what, what do you mean by that, Dan? 
Just pray. <laughs> That's probably a good idea. Um, pray for our nation. Holy cow. If we ever needed prayer, it is, it is right now. And as we're trying to come out of this COVID season, there's a lot of, um, a lot of confusion about what's the best way to do that. And there's a lot of people who are, it's almost like that crab bucket mentality, right? The people that want to get to the top of the bucket and get out those, those crabs, the ones that are too afraid, they're down there going, nope, nope, you can't have your freedom. You've got to stay in this bucket with me. And uh, that's, that's really not that American. Are you saying you spirit. want to go have crabs tonight? Yes, I do. I miss having crab legs and I should probably be able to cook. I mean, it's just boiled, right? Or maybe throw them on the grill or I don't know. But yes, I miss crab legs. We, we need to get our favorite crab leg place opened up so I can go have crab legs. Okay. What were we doing? We were praying for our nation. We were praying for our leaders. All of them? All of them, Dan. Even the ones you don't like that are keeping us from having our crab legs or something. Yeah, they're trying to stop buffets. I mean, they they say that buffets may never open again. And it's like, well, as long as we'll change the name crab feast or something, then as long as I can get my crab, because that's taking away one of my rights. I have a right to crabs. Yeah. <laughs> you have the right to crabs. That's funny. Um, all right. And uh, all of them, Dan, even the ones you don't like, especially the ones you don't like. Okay. Can we? Okay. 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 Be not, good to each other. Not. I heard that. I said snot. No, I heard that. Be good to each other. Have a great week. And 